All right, good morning. Good morning, Gateway. We can start making our way to our seats. We do have a few announcements, and Grady, we may need Molly more. <laughs> we can get Molly. Good morning, good morning. Great to see everybody. For those watching us online, we're so glad you're able to join us this morning. Have a few announcements before we uh, have Molly come up to make a couple announcements regarding kids' ministry. First out of the gate, very excited to announce... Uh, the welcome into our wonderful world, the birth of James Henry Watley this past Friday. We're very excited. Kirkland and Shelby, uh, their little boy was born on Friday, seven pounds, six ounces, 20 inches. The Watley crew continues to grow, and uh, we're just very excited. They're going to call him Jimmy, so we're excited for Jimmy Watley to be a part of our family just continue to pray for Kirkland and Shelby. And uh, there's a, on the Gateway community, there is a food list uh, for meals. If you're interested in blessing them this week, um, you can get on Facebook to the Gateway community and you'll be able to see how you can sign up for that. All right, this Wednesday night, we are going to be at Capitol Heights Middle School. Um, we're going to be able to serve that school by picking up trash all over the campus. Um, we're still waiting to hear about if there's a need for pine straw. Um, we're going to possibly be doing that, putting them around the trees. Um, but the biggest uh, thing we're going to be doing is picking up trash all over campus and then praying for the campus. You're able to go inside the school. You're able to walk around. Uh, maybe we can get little groups and pockets to pray for the school, for the students as they prepare to come, for the teachers, for Principal Harrison. But we would like you to please register because we're going to provide Chick-fil-A, and we want to make sure we have enough um, for everyone. So you can go online at gatewaybaptist.com, and you can register uh, to be a part of that for Wednesday night. Uh, I told the youth group this morning that's where we're going to be, so we encourage all the families that have teenagers. We would love for them to come and join us to be able to serve in that way. Also, this Thursday night, a life group is kicking back off again at the Steen House. Rick Steen, where are you, my brother? So people will see, oh, he's preparing for kids' worship. So Rick's going to be praying this morning. So those that don't know him, um, he's one of our elders here. Um, their life group kicks off this Thursday night at 630. Uh, some military families are already a part of that group, but it's welcome to any other families, anyone that wants to come. Uh, they're going to begin a study through Hebrews. So that's this Thursday night at 630 at their house. If you need to call the church office for an address or talk to Rick after the service, um, you can do that. But that's this Thursday night. Um, also, very excited, a week from this Wednesday, we're kicking back into our fall schedule on Wednesday nights uh, for the adult Bible studies, kids club, youth group back. So Wednesday, August 10th, here on campus at 6 o'clock in the evening. We're very excited to kick back into our schedule. So Bible studies are going to be offered. This is wonderful for the men. Guys, you guys are going to be going through Family Shepherd Study, led by our Pastor Grady and William Fox, one of our elders. So the men will be going through the Family Shepherd's book. Ladies, you will have two options that you can choose from um, with your Bible studies. The first is a Lifeway study with Elijah, led by Trish Butterfield, will be one option for the ladies. And the second one will be led by Karen Fowler, a precept study called The Power of Knowing God. Um, and I know many of you ladies have done precept studies in the back. Some can be pretty intense, but Karen was gracious to get one. Specifically, it says no homework Bible study. <laughs> Some of the precepts are pretty intense, but this one doesn't have any homework. So we're uh, very excited. Another K. Arthur study. So pray about which one you want to be a part of. But those will begin uh, Wednesday, August 10th. 
Also, one last thing, we're three weeks out with this, but just want to make you aware. For those of you that have been visiting Gateway um, and want to know more about who we are, we're offering another Discover Gateway lunch and class at Pastor Grady's house on Sunday, August 21st, after the worship service. Uh, Just a beginning time to get to know who we are, get to know our DNA, a little bit more about our fellowship as you pray and consider if the Lord would have you be a part of our faith family here. Now, the one, the only, Molly Moore. Talk about her kids. So bad. Good morning, everybody. I hope that you all had a chance to notice an email that came to you this week where we were talking about the fact that we have about 41 babies in the nursery. Um, We have 41 kids, babies through kindergarten that are back there. So we're really needing some more assistance. But let me tell you, God is always good. God always provides. Um, One by one, we have filled most of these roles. We filled Sunday school teacher positions and different things. However, there's still a need and will always be a need for once a month taking care of the little ones during worship service. Um, That's primarily where we have people that, you know, come and go. Some people have babies and go off the rotation and those kind of things. So if you've just spent some time thinking and praying about that, it's a real simple way to serve. If you've loved kids, it's just a time to kind of get to know them, love on them, feed them a snack, just have a little fun with them during the Sunday service. So if you feel you know, like that's something you might want to do, we have volunteer applications and a background check, and just come to me and talk with me about that. We'd love to have you. Um, the only other thing that's going on right now, too, though, is we do have one more need for Wednesday nights. As he said, Kids Club's starting back. Ladies are going to Bible study. And it's really important for the mamas to be able to have some time to get in God's Word. So we need to be able to take care of their children, please. So that's the the one opening that's specifically left for Wednesday nights. It's the nursery time. Again, it's just a time to have fun with them. We do have somebody ready to teach them, so we just need some extra hands to love them. So if anybody wants to think about that and come let me know. Um, Also, big news for the kids that are in here, Sunday, a week from today, is Promotion Sunday. So all of these little ones, we have 12 kindergartners that are moving into first grade. Where's Melissa Harris? Woo-hoo! They're coming. They're coming. So (laughs) we have a really large Sunday school class. So everybody gets to move up next week, and that does mean kindergarten moms and dads. First through fourth graders will be in here for the worship time, and then they will go on to kids' worship if they want to and if they choose to. But lots of exciting things coming up. Kids, be ready for next week, and y'all just spend some time in prayer. Let me know if you think about wanting to help in any of these areas. Thank you, Molly. What a great problem to have, not a problem. We'll be praying for you. We'll be lifting up, lifting up Melissa. Rick, can you stand real quick, brother? We already made the announcements. This is Rick Steen. He's leading the life group. So if you have any questions about his group starting this Thursday, you can talk to him. Well, let's stand, prepare our hearts to worship our Lord and Savior, who is so good and gracious to come together as we get to worship him as family. I just want to read this declaration made by King Nebuchadnezzar from the book of Daniel. I always thought this was amazing how a pagan king... God moved on him to declare this mighty thing. This is Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 through 37. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride is able to humble. Let's worship and honor our king of heaven this morning. Church, I'll repeat this after me from the ends of the earth. From the ends of the earth. From the ends of the earth. From the depths of the sea. From the depths of the sea. From the heights of the heaven. of the weak from the hearts of the weak from the 
that cross that our sin was taken care of through Jesus his blood his sacrifice that he didn't have to do but yet he came and lived a life that we couldn't to redeem a lost and wretched people we got to be a part of the worship God conference this past week my wife and I and it was so good, but there was a song that in the lyrics that they said was our best our best actions still murdered Christ. Mm-hmm. Our best, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Even in our best, anything that we could bring, the best of anything that we could bring still sent Christ to the cross. 
and he did it willingly on our behalf. So as we sing songs like that, that's for the sake of Christ's name, for his glory alone, that he came and paid the price to redeem and buy back his bride so that one day we'll be able to worship him, see him face to face. As when he died, the veil was torn. Old Testament, the temple, the veil, only the priest was allowed to go in. But when Christ came, it was that final sacrifice. That veil was torn. And it was open to where we could come and worship him face to face. We can come into his presence without having a mediator because Christ was our mediator on our behalf. So as we got through singing that song and just as we look forward to this song, we're about to sing hymn of heaven, how we long to breathe the air of heaven where the pain is gone, mercy fills the streets and to look upon the one who bled to save us and walk with him for eternity. Let's sing this together. I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity
sing worthy is the lamb who was slain sing that again and on that day join the sung that song, I couldn't help but think, response here from Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Father, we stand in awe of your grace toward us. From Calvary's cross, wave upon wave upon wave of grace reaches us. This glorious grace washes us clean from sin. It renews our hearts It strengthens our will. It gives us affections for you and kindles a heart and our, it kindles a fire 
in our heart to love you and our neighbor. Father, the privileges that we have in Christ are absolutely glorious. In Christ, we are called sons and daughters of you, the God of all creation. We don't stand afar off, but we come this morning before your throne of grace, crying out, Abba, Father, thank you. Thank you for redeeming our lives from the pit. Thank you for crowning us with steadfast love and mercy. We praise you for not dealing with us according to our iniquities. We are humbled and amazed at your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Father, this morning as we pray and proclaim and worship you, our Lord, we do so knowing that, Lord, there are so many needs in our midst. This morning, Lord, as we pray, we bring to you first uh, our youth at Gateway. Father, thank you for the youth ministry here. We thank you for those who are part of that. It's leadership. Father, I pray that you'd give them wisdom as they lead our young people. I pray for the parents in this room of young children and older children, God, that they would be faithful to share the love of Christ with their children, to teach them the word. I pray, Lord, here at Gateway, that the youth would grow in their understanding of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And I pray for any youth that do not know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. God, do a work in, our, in the lives of our young people. Lord, I, my heart's desire is to see these young people grow up and to be sent out to the far ends of the earth to share the love of Christ to those who need it. Lord, use our youth to proclaim your excellencies. Father, this morning we also want to pray for the Fisher Farm Ministry. Thank you for Jeff and Jennifer Hand and their care for and the love for the men that they are seeking to minister to. Lord, I pray that you would give them grace as they, they minister, knowing that it's, uh, it's difficult at times. There seems to be successes and there seems to be those that fall away. And we ask, God, that you would uphold them and encourage them. And for the men that are in that ministry, that they would grow in their love for you and understanding of the gospel. Father, I pray that that ministry would flourish and the fruit of that ministry would grow. And that out of that ministry, men would be encouraged and raised up to be faithful in their homes faithful in their careers and faithful to you. Father, this morning we also want to pray for the churches in this region. We pray for Strong Tower and Pastor Terrence Jones. Lord, thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his commitment to the preaching of your word and the truth. And we ask, Lord, that there would be much fruit borne out there in that area of Montgomery. I pray, Lord, that uh, the word of Christ, the gospel, would go forth and transform hearts and lives. I pray for Pastor Jones, God, that you would uphold him and his family. Thank you for the many things that they're involved with in the community. And Lord, we just pray that that church would grow and that more churches would come out of that. And that, Lord, you would bless. Lord, we want to pray for our, our, our leaders in our community. We pray for Governor Ivy and pray for Mayor Reed. Lord, we ask that they would walk humbly before you. Lord, that they would actually look to you in their decision-making processes. 
Give them wisdom as they make decisions for the state and the city of Montgomery. Surround them with people who would give them the right advice to make the right decisions for our community. So, Lord, we commit them to you. We pray for global missions. We pray for the ministry that's going on in Malawi this morning. There are pastors, Paul and Timothy, appropriate names, that are church planning outside of Lalongwe, Malawi. And they are the only evangelical church in that community. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless them and that those who have made professions of faith and are being discipled, Lord, that they would grow in their faith and that more churches would be planted in the area and that the name of Christ would be made known in that community in Malawi. Lord, this morning, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to sit under your word. Thank you for the privilege of being with the community of faith here, the brothers, our brothers and sisters in this room. What a blessing that is. And Lord, as we give, and thank you for the offering that we would, you would take that, what we give, Lord, and you would use it to further your kingdom. And this morning, as our pastor comes, Pastor Grady, and preaches the word, Lord, I pray that your spirit would direct his thoughts and his words. I pray that the study that he has spent time in this week, as he's focused on your truth, that, Lord, that that would come alive to us this morning, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, and that we would leave this place transformed. And so, Lord, we commit all of these things to you, knowing that apart from you, none of these things are possible. We are totally and completely relying on you this morning, and we ask that you, O Lord, would be glorified in our worship through the preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. In first to fourth grade, you were dismissed to kids' worship with Breaking with Kim. Come on. So first to fourth grade, you're headed out with Rick and Kim this morning. And parents, if you're new to Gateway and with kids' worship, um, when, it's, when the service is over, you'll just head to the gym building, to the blue hallway. You can't miss it. The kids will be in the blue hallway at the end of kids' worship. Well, it is good to see you this morning, Gateway family. I want you to find First Peter chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, First Peter chapter 1, we come today to the end of the introduction of Peter's letter. Yes, we spent the last five weeks in the introduction to his letter. As you heard me say in recent weeks, verses 3 to 12, it's just one long sentence in the Greek language in which this was written. And we come to the end of that long sentence today as we look at how Peter ends his introduction to the letter. Now, in the introduction so far, Peter has been telling the original recipients where they were spiritually. We talked about this a week ago. And hey, guys, can we pull the lights down up there? Thanks. Um, if you remember from the last few weeks, he's been telling the um, readers where they are spiritually. He's been reminding them that they are recipients of God's salvation. He's been reminding them that the hope they have for eternity. He's been reminding them of the reality of the trials and sufferings that they are walking through in life. And yet he's reminded them how God uses those trials and sufferings to grow their faith. And if you remember from last week's message where we left off, he had been encouraging them with where they were spiritually. He was encouraging them in how genuine their faith was and affirming them in how they loved Christ and affirming them in how they trusted Christ and affirming them in how they were rejoicing in Christ. So, so far in the first 10 verses here, he has been telling them, here is where you are, as he's kind of setting the stage for what is to come. Now, as he finishes up his introduction, verses 11 and 12, sorry, verses 10 to 12 this morning, he's going to change his focus a little bit. He's no longer going to tell them where they are. He's not going to tell, no longer tell them how they are personally doing, but he's going to take a step back here. He's going to tell them how other people view their salvation. 
So the first nine verses, he's reminding them of what they already know, where they are spiritually. Now he's going to take a step back here in verses 10 to 12 and tell them how others view their salvation. That may be a strange way to do an introduction to the letter. Why would you end the introduction by telling them how outsiders view their salvation? I think the answer for that is quite simple. The reality, they could lose the wonder of their salvation. They could easily lose sight of the wonders of what God had done for them. And so Peter does not want them to lose sight of all the glories that they've been experiencing in Christ. And so he ends his introduction reminding them of how other people view or how other groups view their salvation. Now, the reality for us, friends, is we can lose the wonder of amazing things. There are things that are glorious and marvelous, and we can lose the wonder of them. This last spring, my older boys and I got to go to a conference in Louisville, and we got to hear a great preacher named H.B. Charles preach at that conference. And one of the things he shared stuck with us is an image that we've not experienced, but the Lord willing, we'll get to experience next summer. But he said, if you go to Yellowstone National Park, he said there is a restaurant that overlooks, I think we have a picture of it, there's a restaurant that overlooks Old Faithful. That's Old Faithful, this marvelous geyser that erupts on schedule in the background. And H.B. Charles said that at this restaurant, as people are eating, when the geyser erupts, everything just stops for the, the visitors who are there. People stop eating, they stop chewing their food, they stop all their conversation, they quit looking at their cell phones, right? And they're just mesmerized by the beauty of creation. They're mesmerized by this geyser that is erupting on schedule hours by hours each day as it's supposed to do. But what he noticed when he was there is that all the visitors who this was new for them were mesmerized by it. The people who worked at the restaurant had lost the wonder of that. And so he looked around, and the wait staff at the restaurant, no one was looking out the window marveling at the guys. They were still filling the drinks, cleaning the tables, just busy around. The busyness of their jobs had caused them to lose the wonder of something so majestic just outside the window. And that picture stuck with me when H.B. Charles shared that because we can lose the wonder of beautiful and amazing things. Now, not on quite as grand of a scale as that, but this past summer, you heard me mention that we got to go as a family down to the beach. We were down at Navarre Beach. Now, right next to Navarre Beach is the Gulf Island National Seashore. Now, it is glorious. It is beautiful because there's no buildings and there's no people. This is my idea of vacation, right? (laughs) And it's just sand dunes for miles and seagrass for miles and the ocean and the waves. And it's just the clouds and the storms. It is just glorious and majestic. And we would just sit there and watch in awe and wonder the beauty of God's creation. One day we were there and we had attempted selfies, and we are terrible at selfies with four kids to get six of us in the picture. It, someone gets left out every time. So we had attempted selfies, and we were struggling. With it. And this sweet couple that lived there for decades came, were walking by, and they took our picture. And as we took, we were talking to them about it, one thing that really struck me, the thing that we were so marveling at had become routine to them. The stuff that we're seeing, they're just mesmerized by. They're just walking past. As we talked about how amazing it'd be to live right near here, they're like, yeah, you know, stuff rusts really quickly. They just began to talk about all the hardships. And I'm going, this is glorious. And all you can think about is the rust on your cars and all these things. They talked about all the challenges of living there. What is so marvelous to us had become dull and even problematic for them. And it reminded me, we can lose the wonder of beautiful and amazing things. And on the spiritual front for us as believers, friends, the reality is we can lose the wonder of our salvation. We can lose the wonder of what Christ has done for us. And so as we come to the end of Peter's introduction, my question for us this morning is quite simple. Do you marvel at your salvation? Friends, do you marvel at the fact you're a child of God? Do you rejoice that the gospel has come to you, friends, or has the gospel become 
routine? Do you have a sense of awe and wonder that you're a recipient of God's grace? Do you have a sense of awe at the very things that have been prayed and sung this morning, or has that become just commonplace to us? Do we marvel at our salvation? And perhaps another way we could think about it or ask it was, when was the last time we were just floored that God saved us? When was the last time we were just speechless and in awe of the fact that God's grace has come to our lives? Friends, the reality is we can lose the wonder of God's grace. Now, to help readers then and now not lose the wonder of our salvation or to help us recover it if it is faded, Peter ends his introduction telling these original readers in Asia Minor and telling us today how two other groups view their salvation. He tells them this perspective. He tells us this perspective to help us see the wonder of what we have in Christ. So we look at verses 10 to 12 this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. Be looking for who are these two groups, these two outsiders, if you will, who are looking at our salvation. And how does thinking about their perspective help us rediscover the wonder of what we have in Christ. So who are the two groups and how does their outside perspective help us rediscover the wonder of what we have in Christ? First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the unchanging word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version and we'll have the words on the screen for you as well. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that we've had time this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ to sing about the gospel, to sing about your grace, to sing about your great name, to pray to you and talk to you. And Lord, even as we do that, we confess that so often our minds get distracted as we pray, as we sing. We can so quickly say the right words and our hearts not be beating with affections for you as we say them. And so, Lord, we confess our frailty and our weakness, acknowledge that this morning. But, Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill us, to open our eyes to the truth of your word, that your word would be alive to us this morning and would do what you desire to do in our lives, giving us a greater sense and awe and wonder at who you are and at what you've done for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, before we look at the two groups that marvel at our salvation, notice how our salvation is described here. Look back at verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation. Now, what is this salvation? This salvation is everything that he has been describing in the nine verses before this. In his opening and his introduction, he has been describing our salvation in Christ. And he's shown it in several different senses. He's shown the past tense part of our salvation. He's shown the present tense part of our salvation. In the future tense, what's still to come? Look back in verse 3. He's described our salvation in past tense, what's already been done for us. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's already shown our salvation is past tense. It's what God did for us that we could never do ourselves. The big word we use for this is justification. He describes how God has already justified us. God has declared us righteous by Christ's death and his resurrection. So our salvation has happened in that sense. It shows there's still a future tense of our salvation. There's still more to come. Verse 4, 
We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So though we are saved, there is still more to come. We call this glorification. Glorification is when we experience the fullness of our salvation. We are in God's presence forever. But between that justification and that glorification here in the middle of this part of our life is the present tense experience of our salvation. And look at verse 8. We saw this one last week. Though you have not seen him, you love and keep on loving him. Though you do not now see him, you believe and you keep on believing in him and you rejoice and keep on rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is what we call sanctification. This process in life is God grows in us our love for him, our trust in him, our faith in him, our joy in him. And so when we come to verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, what does he have in mind? He has in mind our justification, has in mind our sanctification, he has in mind our glorification, he has it all in view. This everything that God has done, is doing, and will still will do for us. And he summarizes all that with this beautiful phrase here in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about, here it is, the grace that was to be yours. As he thinks about our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification, he calls it the grace that was to be yours. He's looking at that from the perspective of the Old Testament prophets. So we could phrase this today as the grace that is now already ours. He describes our justification, our sanctification, our hope and glorification as the grace that is now already ours. Friends, our salvation is an experience of God's grace Grace being God giving us what we do not deserve, what we can never earn, what we can never work for. It's God's free gift to us. And he's already reminded us that this grace we have, this salvation we have, comes only through Christ. Go back to verse 3. We just read it. He says, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That the only way this is possible is for Christ to take our sin and all of Christ's righteousness to be given to us. Christ died and rose again to forgive us of our sins, to bring us to God, to make us the people of God. And so with all that in view, verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, concerning this grace that is now yours, he's asking, do you marvel at that grace? Do you, are you in awe of that salvation? And he says, two groups are, two groups do marvel at this grace that is now ours. Who are they? The first group is the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Now, who are the Old Testament prophets? If you think back to your readings in the Old Testament, they're the people who stood in the presence of God, they heard from God, and they gave God's word to God's people. So the Old Testament prophets would meet with God, they would hear God's word, and they would share God's word with God's people. And that's incredible. These people got to be in the presence of God. These people got to hear his words, and they had the incredible privilege and opportunity to stand before God's people and tell them, thus says the Lord your God. But these prophets who had this incredible opportunity were particularly captivated. They were particularly mesmerized by something. And what was it? Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. These prophets who heard the voice of God and shared God's word with other people were in awe of something. They wanted to know more about something. And what they wanted to know more about was how people could be, have the saving grace and the transforming grace of God. They wanted to understand more of what we now take for granted. And so look in verse 10. It describes their efforts to understand. It says they searched and they inquired carefully. They spent time, they spent their mental energy, they were actively working to try to understand what is so routine and commonplace for us today. 
That is a relationship with God based solely on his grace, where God changes us from the inside out, where God's saving grace and transforming grace fills our life. Well, that raises the questions. What did they search? What, who did they inquire? Well, quite simply, they searched the scriptures that had already been given. They searched the prophecies that God was giving to them then, and they sought God in prayer. It's the same thing we do. We run to the scriptures that we run to prayer. They tried to understand what God was doing and what God would do one day in the salvation we have. And so they studied the scriptures and they prayed to try to understand it all. And as they tried to understand what we now experience, they realized that it would require the Messiah to come. They realized it would require the promised deliverer. Look at verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, that's the Holy Spirit in them, was indicating when he predicted, notice this, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The Holy Spirit was showing them that what you and I have today would take Christ coming, would take the Messiah coming to do what we could not do on our own. And though they did not fully understand it, they realized the Messiah would have to come to bring about this new way of relating to God. Just one of the many examples we go like is Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 and 6. In Isaiah's prophecy, this is what it would take for us to have this type of relationship with God. But he, this is the Messiah, this is Christ, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, Christ, the iniquity of us all. And so all the Old Testament prophets were pointing to the day that the Messiah would come and would rescue his people. And because of that, I love what Paul says when he's defending the faith before King Agrippa, Acts 26, 22. To this day, he's, this is him, Paul talking to Agrippa. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great. Notice it's saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Now, that's an incredible statement. Here he is witnessing to Christ, and he's saying, I've witnessed with just what the prophets said would happen. Verse 23, he carries on. And what did the prophets say would happen? That the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. These prophets long for the suffering servant, the Messiah, to come redeem his people. Go back to verse 11 inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. These Old Testament prophets long for this to happen in their life. They long to be around to see the Christ, the Messiah, come bring salvation to people. But God told them to be patient. It was not for their lifetime. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, this is God revealing to them, that they were not serving themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you. That God showed these prophets they had to be patient. These things they longed for, this salvation that we now take for granted, this was not going to come in their lifetime. Now, that does not mean it did not help them to have these prophets. It did. It helped them hope in God's plan, but they would not get to see it themselves. So I was studying this week. One of the authors I was reading said it so well. He said, it was like God was saying to the prophets, be patient. You're not serving yourself or even your own generation. You are serving saints hundreds of years from now. So God's saying to Isaiah and to Ezekiel and all these prophets, this is not just for you. Yes, it's gonna help you, but this is for something much bigger. This is serving the saints that are coming hundreds and thousands of years from now. It's us. And he said this, they will see in your prophecy of me the proof that I am who I say I am. And its truth will make its infinite, valuable, its infinite value unshakable 
in their lives. We will see the proof in these prophecies that God is who God says he is, and it makes it unshakable in our lives. So why does Peter mention this? Why does Peter mention that the prophets did not get to see what they longed to see, but we do? Because he wants us to understand how blessed we are to be in the time we are in when these prophecies have come true, to be in a time when the Messiah has already come, when we can not just know about him, but know him personally, when we can experience that grace upon grace. Jesus even tells his disciples and us how blessed we are. Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 and 7. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and many righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, they did not hear it. Peter brings all this out for us to remind us how blessed we are as a people who have salvation. Not just know about the Christ, but know him personally. And this truth that we so often take for granted is so astounding that prophets for thousands of years long to know and wish they could see what we now have. One of the commentators I read this week, his name's David Helm, he said it so well. He said, the fullness of your salvation has been the joy of God's servants over the centuries. The fullness of your salvation has been the joy of God's servants over the centuries. That over those thousands of years of Old Testament history, going all the way back to Moses, the prophets longed for what we have. Their joy was in telling people something better is coming. And friends, we are walking in what has come that they long for. The fullness of your salvation has been the joy of God's servants over the centuries. So the question for us is, do we marvel at this salvation? Do we marvel at this grace that is now ours? The prophets did, and Peter wants us to ask, do we as well? Now, friends, before we move on to the second group, there's a quick aside I want to mention here. There's a quick word of practical encouragement. In a lot of American Christianity, we tend to have an avoidance of the Old Testament. A lot of Bible reading plans, we just focus on the New Testament. But friends, this is such a reminder to me as I was thinking on this this week, how all the scripture is breathed out by God. I just want to encourage you as you have a Bible reading plan and you try to intentionally be in the word day by day, do not neglect the Old Testament. Go back to verse 12 here. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. Because these things were given to serve us. All the prophets, Old Testament, were there to serve us. And the things that have now been announced to you, don't neglect the Old Testament. So to help us marvel at our salvation, Peter tells, the prof, tells us the prophets marveled at it. But he said there's a second group of outsiders that marvel at our salvation as well. And who is it? It's the angels. Look at the end of verse 12 there. Last phrase, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. So who are angels? Angels are spiritual beings created by God. They are intelligent. They have morals. They know right from wrong, but they're spirits. They lack physical bodies, and their purpose is to serve God. So these spiritual beings who serve God, who are smart intellectual beings, who are moral beings, they long to look at things. You can look at this phrase, things into which angels long to look. What are the things? The things here are salvation. The things go back to everything we talked about. This salvation, this grace that is ours, these are the things into which angels long to look. Now, this word look in the Greek language, which this was originally written in, means to look at from the perspective of an outsider. This word look can literally mean to peek. It can mean to peep at something that you're not really part of. You're looking at it from the outside. The angels are looking at us. They're looking at our salvation as outsiders, friends, because they do not experience salvation. The fallen angels who rebelled against God 
were cast into hell. We call them demons. There is no redemption for them. There will never be a chance of redemption for them. Only humanity made in the image of God gets redemption for those who believe in Christ. And so for the angels who still serve God, who are still in his presence, they look at amazement how wretched sinners like us who have rebelled against God can now be redeemed by a holy God. And they watch us with great curiosity. Friends, do you realize you're being watched? And that's not necessarily a creepy thing. The angels are peeking in to your life, amazed that we have a new heart and a new life, seeing the prophecies fulfilled in what God is doing in us. But notice they're not just looking with like a disinterest here. And it says, these are things in which angels long to look. The word long means a great desire. And this is present tense in the Greek. That means they long and they keep on longing and they keep on longing and they keep on longing to look into our lives and to see how God's grace has changed us. They long to see justification happen. They long to see our sanctification. They long for the day that we are glorified and they find great joy watching God do in us what we cannot do. Luke chapter 15 verse 10 gives us a small glimpse of this. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Friends, there are spiritual beings who are peeking into our lives, and when they see God save us, they find joy. When they see God sanctifying us, they find joy. And as they watch saints go home to heaven, they find joy in all of these things. And Peter tells us this to remind us that if outsiders like angels are rejoicing in our salvation and marveling at it, how much more so should we who experience it ourselves marvel even more at what God has done for us and to be excited about it. So again, the question for us is, do we marvel at our salvation? Do we marvel at the grace that is now ours? The prophets do, the angels do, Peter wants us to as well. So let's bring all that together. I think you've already seen this from the text, but here's the main idea of this text this morning. The prophets in the Old Testament age and the angels still today marvel at the salvation we have in Christ. That's the truth of this text. That the prophets of the Old Testament marvel that we have salvation in Christ. <laughs> the angels serving God today still marvel and still rejoice at the salvation we have in Christ. The question for us then is, do we marvel at this truth as well? Friends, you or I are a blessed people. We have received so much grace that we do not deserve. Friends, none of us chose to be born in the church age. None of us chose to be born in a country where there's gospel witness everywhere. None of us chose to have someone come share the gospel with us and put God's word in our hands. None of us chose to have God turn our hearts to believe in him. This was, has nothing to do with us. We have something, friends, that many in the world do not have. Today on earth, there are 1.6 billion people who have no access to the gospel. Friends, we didn't choose to be born in a place where there's churches on every corner and Christian radio and Christian TV and Bibles everywhere. 1.6 billion people are born in a place where there's no access to the gospel right now. Because we did not, we have something that the prophets of the Old Testament did not have. We see the fulfillment of the prophecy. We have the New Testament. We see the totality of Scripture. Because we have something that angels long for because they don't even, they can't even experience what we are having. We are a people blessed with the gospel. We're people blessed with the grace of God. And do we marvel at it? Or are we like the workers at Yellowstone who become so familiar with the guys erupting they don't even notice anymore? Where the people who live at the beach who are so distracted with everything rusting that they own that they miss the glories of the beauty of the beach? Or are we a people who are just floored and mesmerized that God sent his gospel to us and he turned our hearts and he has redeemed us and giving us this grace that is ours? The prophets in the Old Testament age and the angels still today marvel at the salvation we have in Christ. Do we marvel as well? 
And by that, I want to ask us a very practical question. What do we do if we realize we're not marveling at our salvation anymore? What do we do if we realize that we've lost the all? Let me give you five very quick, simple suggestions if that's where you are today. Now, before we do, the first question is, do we know Christ? Friends, if we've never marveled at our salvation, we have to take a step back and ask, do I even understand grace? If we think our salvation is us choosing God and us praying prayers and us getting baptized and us serving in the church and all those things, and there's nothing to rejoice in, that's works. If we get the greatness of God and his grace and our unworthiness, there will be an awe in our heart towards it. So if we know Christ and we know we know Christ, but the sense of awe is going away, it's become familiar, what can we do? I'm gonna give you five simple things. Number one, meditate on the character of God. Meditate on the character. By the character, I mean the nature, the attributes of God. Meditate on the attributes of God. Friends, the more we run to scripture and see the greatness of God and see him for who he is, the more we are floored that he would choose to pursue us and turn our hearts to him because we see how unworthy and wretched we are and how great he is. It increases our all of our salvation the more we see him. I love what happened in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. You probably know this text well, but in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So here's one of the prophets of all. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, Isaiah sees the glory of God. He sees the greatness of Christ. And what happens to him? Verse 5, a few verses later, he's not like, oh, this is amazing. I'm great. He's like, woe is me. For I'm lost, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Friends, the more we dwell on the nature, the character, the attributes of God, the more we are in awe of the fact that we have salvation in Christ. And there's no way to dwell on who God is apart from regularly reading his word. If you need some practical helps in that, there's a great book in the Resource Center called Praying the Attributes of God. It doesn't have much writing to it, it simply lists the attribute of God and gives you tons of scriptures to read about it and then gives you something to pray about it. If you need some practical help to think about the bigness of God, there's several books out there about the attributes of God. I'd encourage you in those. But meditate on the nature, the attributes, the character of God. Second of all, remember your own journey of God's grace. Remember your own journey of God's grace. Look back in verse 12 of today's text. <clears throat> it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been, notice this, announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. <clears throat> God sent someone to you, maybe multiple people over your life, to get the gospel to you, to preach the gospel to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It may have been friends, may have been parents, may have been siblings, may have been pastors and Sunday school teachers, but God has sent, if you're in Christ, someone sent the message of the gospel to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember your own journey. Friends, we are such a busy people and we live such distracted lives. Sometimes we do not pause from the busyness up to reflect on how God has pursued us and his grace. Meditate on that and think about not just the character of God, but how God has pursued you in your life. Number three, pray and ask God to restore the all. Pray and ask God to restore the all. Friends, we talk about this all the time. There's no white-knuckle determination that's gonna change our heart attitude. We can't change our heart affections just by trying harder at it. God has to do it. So what if our prayers were much more, God, show me your greatness. God, help me understand your greatness. God, increase my awe of you. And then our prayers were, Lord, can you give me the closer place of the grocery store today to park? You know, what if our prayers were more bigger picture on the joy of salvation than about our conveniences? Psalm 51, 12, this came up in my Bible reading this week in the plan that I'm working through in the Old Testament right now. Psalm 51, 12, what if this was our prayer every day? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And friends, what if our prayer each day this week is, Lord, restore to me awe at my salvation. Lord, restore to me marveling at your greatness. God, restore to me joy and awe and wonder that I belong to you. So we, first of all, meditate on the nature of God. 
We remember our own journey of God's grace. We pray and ask God to restore the all. Number four, get into Christian community. Get into Christian community. I know I sound like a broken record on this, but friends, when we need help to be passionate about the Lord, we can't do that well in isolation. God has given us the grace gift of brothers and sisters in Christ to stir those affections and stir our hearts. Friends, so much in my own journey has been encouraged and helped by sitting at Chick-fil-A with a brother in Christ or at a coffee shop with a brother in Christ and having those intentional conversations, thinking about the grace of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 It's a command for us. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So get into Christian community. And number five, this will be an easy one to do because we're going to do it in just a few minutes, celebrate communion together. Friends, communion is a grace gift God has given to us of this visual, powerful symbol to remind us of what Christ has done for us and the grace that we have in him. Friends, if you find that your heart affections to God and about your salvation are cold, Meditate on the nature of God. Remember your own journey of grace. Ask God in prayer to restore it to you. Jump into Christian community and then make sure you're part of our regular celebrations of communion together to let the Lord stir your heart to the awe and wonder of what you have. Friends, the prophets of the Old Testament age and the angels still today marvel at our salvation, marvel at the grace that is ours. Do we marvel at it as well? That's the question I want us to think about as we come to celebrate communion this morning. If you're in Christ, the question I want you to think about this morning as we take communion is, am I marveling at God's grace that has pursued me? Now, let me remind you before we take it, this is only for those who know Christ personally. This is only for those who've experienced this salvation, who know they're justified, who know they're being sanctified, who know they will be glorified one day. These are people who, if you know God has saved you and you see it because there's change in your life, because God is transforming you as well, if you have a life marked by the saving and transforming grace of God, we invite you to join us in celebrating communion this morning. Now, friends, if that is not you, if you're like, you know, I don't really know if I know Christ, I never marvel at it because I'm not even sure if it's real to me, we want to invite you not to participate this morning. Scripture warns about taking communion without discerning what Christ did for you. We'd encourage you to stay in your seat. No one's gonna come chase you down and talk to you. No one's gonna embarrass you, but we want you to stay in your seat when we receive the elements in a few minutes and just use the time to pray and talk to God and say, God, I don't even know if you're real. I don't know if I believe. Would you please show that to me? Would you reveal yourself to me? My friends, for those who know Christ, we invite you in just a moment to come receive the bread and the juice and be reminded of what Christ has done for you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three reminds us of why we do this. Paul writes to the people in Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And when he given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember some of me. Friends, as we try to have a sense of awe at God's grace pursuing us, we're remembering that it came with a cost, that Christ's body was broken on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 25, he carries on. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So friends, if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're a member of Gateway or not, but if you are in Christ and you know Christ, we invite you to come this morning to receive the bread, to receive the juice, and to remember that Christ died to purchase your salvation. He came to make you new. And as you reflect on that, go back to verse 10. This is what I want you to be thinking about this morning. Concerning this salvation, the prophecy prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Friends, this morning as you have time before you come to receive the elements or while you're sitting in your seat before you take them, 
to ask the Lord to search your heart and say, Lord, am I marveling at your grace? Am I marveling at your salvation? Am I in awe of it? And if not, confess that to him and ask him to increase the all you have in him. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, our praise team is going to come up first to receive the elements. And our ushers will come direct you to come down to receive the bread, to receive the juice. If you have dietary needs, we have gluten-free elements here prepackaged as well. And as you come down, please keep two lines coming down so we can get you back to your seat so you have time to reflect and pray as you receive the elements. But let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for the salvation we have in Christ. And Lord, we don't want those just to be mere words that we say. Lord, we really want to be in awe of you. We want to really be thankful for all that you have done. And so, Lord, for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, we pray that this morning, Lord, you would increase our sense of awe at the salvation that we have. You would increase our wonder that your grace has come to us. And Lord, as we see the powerful symbol of the bread reminding us of the body of Christ, as we see the symbol of the juice reminding us of the blood of Christ, Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts through the Holy Spirit at work in us, that our heart affections would be stirred this morning as we think about your word and think about you, think about your grace, thinking about the cross, thinking about what Christ did, that our heart affections would be stirred to worship you from a heart of thankfulness. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who is not marveling at your salvation because they've never experienced it, that, Lord, today would be the day that you would bring new life to them, new life in Christ, that they would repent and believe in Christ, and they would see your saving and transforming grace at work in their lives. And, Lord, we pray today now, Lord, as we as your people celebrate communion, that you would have your way sanctifying us and growing us and making us who you desire us to be. And we ask it all for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, hear the prayer of your people. We say thank you for your grace. Increase our thankfulness, our awe, and marveling at it this week. And I pray the words we just sung will be the cry of our heart. Lord Jesus, help us to live for you. We can't do that on our own. We can't manufacture that. So we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill us each day this week, that we live in dependence on your grace, seeking to please you and love you all throughout this week. We ask it for your glory, for your namesake, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Gateway family.